0: Welcome to Oncology Morning Commute, a primer on B cell targets in relapsed or refractory diffuse large B cell lymphoma. Morning Commute is developed by Projects in Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME CE activity is supported by an educational grant from ADC Therapeutics America, Incorporated. In this podcast, Dr. Paolo Cami and Dr. Juan Alderuccio discuss relapsed or refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, how is refractory disease defined, and what is the role of the new antibody-based therapies in relapsed or refractory disease. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash B-cell 1. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Kami is on staff in the Department of Hematology and Oncology at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Alderuccio is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center in Miami, Florida. I am your host, Candice Hoffman. Dr. Kami will begin our discussion.
1: Dr. Alderuccio, thank you for joining me on this podcast to discuss relapse or refractory uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. While diffuse large B-cell lymphoma can be cured in the majority of patients, you know, 30 to 40% of patients can uh, relapse or be refractory to the initial line of therapy. Tell me, how do you approach in uh, diagnosing uh, a relapse or refractory state and how do you define this patient population?
2: Hi, uh, Dr. Kaimi. Thank you for having me today here with you. So I, I think that uh, important definitions of uh, relapse and refractory diffuse large b cell lymphoma, I try to obtain this definition from the CAR T trials. So um, the definition of refractory diffuse large b cell lymphoma are those of patients with progression of disease as best response, or those with stable disease after at least four cycles of frontline chemotherapy or those patients that achieve a partial response with a positive uh, biopsy. Uh, regarding um, the definition of relapse, uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma are those patients that initially achieve a complete response, uh, but were followed with a positive biopsy. And I think it's important uh, the time frame between uh, the, the achieving of CR and relapse, especially because those patients that relapse within 12 months, there is significant data supporting the use of
1: uh, CAR cells in this setting. Yeah, I think that that's kind of probably what, what has really changed a little bit the, the landscape of, of managing patients who have their disease either persist after our job, uh that we would consider refractory, or those who relapse early, right? I think it's a, it's a distinction that, although we understood that it, Affected prognosis in the past, uh, we didn't really have a significant action plan that was different to other to other patients who had a late relapse. We just knew they were doing going to do a little bit worse or worse than than people who had a late relapse. I think that the point that I tend to make in general, in terms of de- defining relapse or refractory state, is for me I'm somewhat particular about at least the first time the disease returns. Uh, I, I I'd like to confirm it with a biopsy. I think uh, just the PET scan, although many, I think in the majority of cases we can't confirm with a biopsy is a point that I make, make to my patients. Most of these patients are supposed to respond and respond well to chop or initial chemotherapy. And if the patient is not behaving like they should, meaning respond to the treatment, we should be confirming that with a biopsy, either to, to ensure that we're just having the right diagnosis, to confirm that it's truly what we're seeing on the PET scan corresponds to corresponds to refractory or relapse disease, uh, and, and sometimes we even get additional biologic insight. Uh, I think probably over time we'll understand whether there are certain markers, whether we were, weren't able to get uh, fish status or other immunosochemical markers, uh, understanding in the future whether the 19 is going to be expressed. I think it's in the majority of cases or other targets for, for immunotherapies or targeted therapies. So I think... The definition of relapse state also comes with the fact that I think co- how do we confirm that relapse state with a biopsy? What do you think about the 12 month? I mean, I, one of the things that I've been struggling with is, is it's really it's an arbitrary way of trying to define chemosensitivity, correct? I think it's just trying to find the group of patients who are truly chemorefractory. I I I'm sure there's a few patients that are, you know, that relapse early that that probably are going to be good potentially sensitive to, to salvage chemo, but we're kind of batching them all as chemorefractory.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it was an arbitrary um, time point the 12 months, but it was how the, the trials were designed. Yeah. So, uh, but I agree with you that some of these patients maybe may still be benefit that can be selected for uh, salvage chemotherapy, follow eventually for a transplant. I, I think uh, what is key is if the patient uh, progress uh, during uh, frontline chemotherapy. That patient, I think, the probability is that this patient will respond to platinum-based chemo It's low. So, I I think that's a, that's the pay, the population that most likely I would select for uh, a CAR T type of approach. However, a patient that achieves CR and subsequently relapse. Um, Probably if a patient relapses, I would say, after six months, nine months, that patient may be suitable for uh, platinum-based chemo. And I I think it's worth to, to eventually, if the patient has a good performance status and is a candidate for autologous systems and transplant, to to start that type of approach uh, with salvage chemo and eventually transplant those
1: patients. I think... uh... Particularly looking at the data, I mean, first of all, we'll, we'll talk a little bit further about the results and in, in, in the relapse refractory setting for CAR T. But I think it's it's arbitrary, right? I think you have to you have to find some way of finding your chemo refractory or chemo insensitive patients, and it's probably as good as we have right now. There's not really good biologic markers for who's going to respond to to CISPLAT and go into a very nice deep CR that we can take them to an auto transplant. Um, so I think that in that sense it's probably that's what we have right now. I wish we could have a, we could have a test to say, well, you know, maybe we could use some chemotherapy, even debulky before CAR T's. Uh, I think moving on a little bit towards you know what options we have for patients. I think we've already touched a little bit that for refractory patients we have we have CAR-T or for early relapse we have CAR T's as well. Um, how do you approach them in terms of your choice of CAR uh, your choice of your choice to salvage regimen if you're going to use something. How is your bridging approach? Kind of once you have a patient that is relapsed, what is the decision tree you follow?
2: So if the decision is to proceed with um, with salve, with autologous stem cell transplant or at least attempt that approach, I usually use uh, platinum-based chemotherapy that is based on what was a frontline therapy. If the patient was treated with um, our chop is rise, but if the patient was treated with frontline Hippocar, um, I usually try to use RDH or Rdchx as etoposide was already included in the frontline setting. Um, if the patient, uh, the direction is to move in the decision is to move in the direction of CAR T, I try to avoid uh, bendamustine before T uh, cell collection. For the risk of the um So we depend uh, what is the um, burden, disease burden, and the symptoms of the patient. In the uh, SUMA 7, uh, the only uh, salvage therapy was glucocorticoids. Mm-hmm. So that's some how sometimes it's uncommon that these patients can be without treatment or only with for for three, four weeks until the product is back. So sometimes uh, what I do in those settings is giving uh, polatuzumab, rituximab to try to uh, address the symptoms until the T cell collection is performed and subsequently until the CAR-T product uh, is ready, uh, continue with uh, vendamastin rituximab and polatuzumab until we're able to infuse the CAR-Ts. Yeah, I
1: think that's, I mean, it's, it's it's, a somewhat difficult decision. It's easy when you're getting the salvage chemotherapy, uh, uh, getting them ready for an auto. I think it was, you know, we're moving from this, well, where everything was very linear to having a very kind of wide spectrum of choices. Um, my, my approach is very similar to yours. I think uh, in general, uh, m- moved over time towards uh, pl- uh, towards ice as the main platinum-based chemotherapy. Uh, I've used DHAP in the past, not a a lot of DHACs, Um, and I used to use quite a bit of uh, gemcitabine, cisplatin, dexamethasone with rituximab, kind of more like the Canadian approach, maybe because we're so close to them, in part because it's an outpatient regimen, but I think you have to be careful always with cisplatin. Cisplatin can can be something that particularly these patients were more advanced stage, uh, that to, to tolerate with more difficulty and and, and the nausea dehydration renal you know, failure can be a price to pay sometimes that can prevent you from getting them to transplant.
2: I don't think at that point sometimes what we do is to split the dose of cisplatin and uh give further hydration and after the patient goes home is discharged from the hospital, schedule as outpatient uh a few times a week uh hydration. Yeah I agree. Um the issue with pla with Cisplatin is the kinetoxicity and electrolytes
1: abnormalities. And I think, and then the approach for for cartes is, you know, the debulking versus bridging, right? I think, I, I agree. I think most of us are avoiding Bendomastin. I find it interesting that polatuzumab single agent or with rituximab has gained so much traction when I think their the approval is somewhat not included as a single agent, but I think we've used that. Um, I do think that we haven't explored as a community yet how much importance might tumor bulk have and tumor debulking prior to collection or, or prior to CAR-T infusion on the results. Um, but my suspicion is that you have somebody with minimal amounts of, of tumor would have better response to CARs. And I think that that will be a, maybe it's a component of important research in the next few in the near future.
2: I agree. And also, maybe we are a little bit extrapolating data from Mandel's cell that we know that apply your bendamastin-based regimen affect the outcome of CAR-T patients treated with this approach. So those some, we definitely
1: need more data in this. No, I agree with you. I think bendomastin has has infotoxicity that is pretty well known in in both in the mantle as well as in follicular the results, uh at least on the upfront trials, I think it's it's known that it will affect your your T cell uh, composition, populations, and, and, and affects probably the quality of the product. I think the question is, is a single agent or is it the right thing to do for bridging prior to, to collection or not? I think the other point that I think highlight, you highlight a little bit is um, there's a group of patients who who are underserved by the delay, right? It's just the patient that is rapidly progressing. Uh, and I think we know the patient that needs rapid Treatment in the front line, and we've seen that at least in our local data, the patient that is needing treatment quickly in this in the second line is a patient who has poor prognosis, is rapidly progressing, and that's a patient that we worry about. And I'm afraid that you know by not being able to get them to CAR-T's, this is a group that is still uncovered by the new developments, right? I think it's a patient that we're not serving well yet by CAR-T's, and it's a patient that for whom maybe a, a cycle of something like ICE could potentially help get them ready for CARs, right?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. It's important that there are uh, some studies demonstrate that elevated LDH mm-hmm. performance status uh, have been associated as factors with a worse uh, outcome uh, after CAR T. So probably those, those are patients as if available,
1: at a clinical trial would be um, the best option in this setting if this would be available. How about, what considerations do you do for getting somebody to auto? I think it's it's fairly well-defined, uh, the population of patients that you think are, are transplanted and eligible. And then we'll talk about the car eligibility, which we think is somewhat wider, right?
2: Yeah, yeah I agree. Usually it's based on um, the left ventricle, the cardiac function, that the patient should have an acceptable cardiac function, uh, acceptable renal function, pulmonary function, and also except liver function tests. Regarding the age, we have been doing a little bit more, uh, uh, doing in older patients, 70, 75 years old. And as you mentioned in CAR T trials, they include patients in the early 80s. So um, I think there is a little bit more more data to use in older patients CAR T um, that doesn't seem to be a factor.
1: Yeah, I think I think organ function is kind of your main determinant. I think it's continued to impress as I get older, as my parents get older. What the definition of advanced stage is, I think yeah. we all we all experience that.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think probably it's
1: more performance status rather than that. Yeah. And I think organ reserve is really kind of getting better. People are fit, getting fitter into the 70s. I've had you know a few patients over 75 that we've done a transplant and they've actually done fairly okay. I do worry, there, there are patients that sometimes we forget that not easy to collect, they don't, their marrow reserve is just not excellent, particularly after a couple of rounds of chemotherapy. Some of these patients tend to either require a couple of rounds of collection, almost always with but 4 and sometimes they just don't mobilize well. Um, and then I think they're slow to to, to improve unless they're very fit after, after a transplant. I'm definitely for CAR T. I think that it's a different paradigm than for auto transplant, right? I think that if they do well, they don't have any acute complication. You can do this in an 80 year old, particularly with the with drugs with products with 41 BB, where the risk is uh, for costimulatory signal, where the risk of having adverse events is probably a little bit better, uh, at least in terms of the acute CRS. Um, do you use those parameters to choose your CAR-T product, or or you use something that is institution mar- mandated or or kind of preferred? Yeah, no, we
2: we use those markers that you just mentioned, but um, yeah, um, the, the truth is that this is more um, um, a choice from the transplant group that are specifically who at uh, our institution they do the car Also, they at the end they they are the ones who select the CAR-T product.
1: Okay. So, so in general, it's, it's something that's off of your off of your hands to 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 yeah. see what they choose. Yes, yeah. so uh, you know, there's there's every every institution does it some somewhat different, correct? I think our choice to of carte varies depending on on on, on our choice or so to, to who makes the choice here is yeah. it's the informadox that. That actually do the treatment. Uh, you know, certainly there's not just Cartese, there's other drugs, and I think um, there's, there's other agents that are coming now in the third line, I think that's kind of expanded to, most of them are antibody-based, I think, uh, with both dafacetumab and analidomide, lontostuximab. Uh, we talked a little bit about polatuzumab, we'll talk a little bit more as well I think those, all those things are expanding to people who are either not going to get CAR T's, dominate, kind of take a lot of, a lot of the air in the room. But I think there's certainly things that we can uh, consider. Who, which kind of patient do you think that, are, that kind of you prefer or consider CAR T ineligible or, or, you, or you prefer to use one of these drugs uh, in the third line?
2: I think would be what based on the fitness of the patient and the organ function that is going to be how we proceed with, and the definitions of transplantation or basically. So if a patient fit, has a, a, a appropriate, uh, an appropriate organ function and the patient has an appropriate um, performance status, I think that the patient is eligible for this type of cellular products. That's what I usually try to keep in my mind and
1: to select one therapy over the other yeah I'm on the same boat. I think that that's that's somewhat it makes it i mean these drugs as we said their eligibility is much wider for cartes yeah. than than for transplant and I think that um the the group of people who can't get this who cannot get cartes is not large, extremely large, although we have to always mention access is definitely an issue right and I think yeah. patients for whom staying a month away from home uh or for whom travel to the transplant center of whom cost to insurance cover is an issue. I think this drug is going to start, start becoming more attractive. Um, I've had a couple of patients for, you know, second-line therapy, tafasitamab lenalidomide, for whom, although the visits are frequent, they don't require them to stay in the hospital. Certainly something something I use for older patients, uh, thinking that that's probably where uh, that combination performs best. And people who are not refractory, uh, who do to first-line therapy, uh, for whom uh, a response to tafalen could you know, potentially give them quite a bit of time of long-lasting response although with long-lasting treatment too.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And both of us, we work at uh, centers that we have these capabilities and we are able to use CAR-T, but there are patients that don't have this access, so definitely off-the-shelf type of therapies are eventually appropriate in patients that they
1: don't have the access to to these cellular products. Yeah, we're definitely spoiled. I think that's where, um, I, and that's how, how some, sometimes I say we tend to use a little bit less these agents less than we did in trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, particularly for me, I think we're for, you know, we continue to use Lonca and we give it, but these are for patients in the third line uh, for whom neuropathy is an issue. We start considering Lonca stuximab or for whom. Uh, travel to the to to our medical center is complicated because of distance. We have people coming from out of state. You know, I so said once every three week infusion is also an option. Same as for Pola VR, right? I think in third line that may change if if frontline Pola are chopped it's adopted significantly, but I think for the you know, infrequent visit scheduled a little bit more than others, but every three weeks is just two days. So I think that those are the things that I start to consider, and the tolerability, safety, uh, and schedule as well. I think one of the things we forget with TAFA land is that the schedule is pretty intense the first eight weeks. Yeah,
2: yeah. And <laughs> um, then, yes, and those patients that achieve st- at least a stable disease should subsequently continue TAFA, uh, to faceta mass singulation. So, yeah, there are several, all these factors need to be evaluated at the time of decision and need to be extensively discussed with the patient. Yeah.
1: Well, great. That has been a, a very informative discussion. I think I hope uh, we continue to touch base on, this, on these drugs through the following series. Yeah.
0: Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program, please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash cell one Look for all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.